I'm Amy, sex educator, sex and relationship coach, and sex shop owner. And I'm April, VP of an international high-end pleasure products company and boss queen sex toy mogul. We're best friends who make our own rules about who we are as sexual beings. With everything from how to be a badass in the bedroom to top tips for bringing your relationship to the next level, we have something just for you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Don't forget to head on over to our website at shamelesssex.com for more. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code SHAMELESSPP in all caps at purepleasureshop.com. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome to the Shameless Sex Podcast. We are happy to... Uh, be offering you this bonus episode. As we've said before, if you've been listening for a while, uh, we are doing this once a month. You get a free episode. I mean, they're all free, but ad free um, because some of you have been irritated with ads. So this is our offering to you. Um, so please still continue to love us. Know that we do need the occasional ad so that we can drink coffee and water and afford to put our podcast on all the things to keep it free for you. Um, but this one, ad-free with a very special guest. And this topic was actually requested by a listener uh, uh, specifically on how to talk to your kids about sex and parenting and sex. Uh, and um, this, the, I'll read the bio for the speaker, but they also have a lot of experience in the sex toy industry. Um, they work in sex tech, which maybe we can find out more what that means. I don't know if we've really talked about sex tech on this episode. So... Let's dive on in and I will introduce our speaker first. Hopefully I say her last name correctly. <laughs> um, Dominique Caretzos. Did I do it right? Dominique. I did it. Dominique Caretzos is Mystery Vibe's resident sex expert. Before joining Mystery Vibe, Dominique led groundbreaking teams in the sexuality space such as Lalo, Lalo Intima, Get Louie, Ella Claire, and, the found, and is the founder of Healthy Pleasure Collective. Coupled with her ongoing work as a BBC radio host and once upon a time host for her own podcast, Hot Milk, the Guilty Parent podcast back in 2015, Dominique has used her voice over the past decade to disrupt one of the world's most taboo industries. Within the world of sexual health tech, Dominique is personally dedicated about changing the narrative surrounding parenting and sex. From helping parents rediscover themselves and their desires to advocating for more direct, empowering conversations with kids than the birds and the bees, Dominique is on a mission to improve sex talk at all ages. Welcome to Shameless Sex, Dominique. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you. The alpha ladies, Amy and April. What a lush introduction. (laughs) The A team, the A++ team. That's phenomenal. Thank you for that lovely introduction. And you're hailing all the way from Greece uh, during this recording, which yeah. just looks so relaxed. And I'm I'm, I'm, I'm namasting on the Greek islands and taking and actually taking a break from adulting and parenting. Uh, this is something I do. I go on holiday without my child. <laughs> Blasphemy! Yes, how how old are your you? children? So my daughter is seven, turning eight um, in September. And um, usually most parents finish that sentence by saying sort of eight going on to 14 or 16 or 18. Um, I'm really fortunate to say that's not the case. She's still little. She's still little, but very wise. Mm -hmm. Children are wise, wiser than we give them credit for. Mm -hmm. Curious in their wisdom. Yeah. 
little, 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 yeah, I always say, or often say that they're, um, they can teach us more about, about presence because they're so, in the younger years, especially before their minds get in with all the stories of shame and who they should and shouldn't be, they're just little pleasure seekers and they're just living every moment in complete presence for what feels good and what doesn't. And if it doesn't feel good, they don't want it. So. Absolutely. You couldn't have said it better. Yeah, they're little, little Tantra children. I think it changes when they, well, this is my personal opinion. Uh, I think once they hit puberty, because you're then starting to seek some sort of sexual gratification from others instead of maybe if, if it's done on your own. And so your mind starts to wander and then you start to kind of, you know, mm-hmm. take in uh, the other, maybe the opposite sex or maybe the same sex, but you take in other species more. Yeah. I think, you know, we forget we, we have to start the dialogue and the, and the conversation from the beginning as parents and children, what children teach us very beautifully and to your point is we have to raise ourselves before we can raise another human and traditionally we we teach our children bedside manners how to say please and thank you table manners how to take care of their teeth Um, and we we hold on to their sexuality until they hit that age that you're reflecting on and then we give them society and as parents uh, through no fault on purpose of our own very little information. We don't teach them how to carve that safe space in their lives to be able to explore and discover judgment-free. And then we usher them out into the world and say, please, can you go and have a healthy relationship with another human being (laughs) and and yourself? But along the way, we haven't started the conversation from the beginning. Um, And that there's this massive, you know, we love to talk about the orgasm gap or the pleasure Mm -hmm. famine, but there's this massive void um, of, of education and support, mm-hmm. and just a dialogue. And mm-hmm. if we think about it, basically, a dialogue starts with language, doesn't it? So mm-hmm. we have to start with the language. Why do you think it is so? Uh, I mean, why do you think it is so scary and not the norm for parents to talk to their kids about sex? Well, you know, if I actually could bring in the Maya Angelou. Um, Uh, quote, when you know better, you do better. Mm -hmm. So if you speak to anyone of parenting age and even younger, I had a brilliant sex education, said no one fucking ever, (laughs) right? So now how do, where do we go? If you think about it, you know, you think about your friends, whether you're parents, you're single, whatever your, your status is in life or your construct, social construct is, where do I go to learn? What do I say? How do I say it? What do I show them? What is the right way? What's the wrong way? And if you haven't discovered it on your own and you can't, or you haven't figured out what your pleasure narrative is, irrespective of what you identify with, how do you even begin to tell that story to, to your children? And that's why I say it, starting with language is so important. And language, even the beginning point, part of that is, um, you know, if we're looking at schools specifically talking about sex education, they start with the words of private parts, mm-hmm. which I am horribly against, <laughs> horribly against. And I think I was talking to you a little earlier about my stand-up for, for my rallying against it um, has gotten me thrown off the mother's WhatsApp group at school. Um, <laughs> So, so can you can you imagine a single single mom in sex tech uh, dealing with penises, butt plugs, and sex education and vulvas on the on the WhatsApp group? Mm-hmm. Um, that is, it's taboo. And um, the reason I have a problem with that is we don't teach our children the uh, the art of language, consent, and consent for their thoughts, their opinions, and their entire body. Mm-hmm. It's not private 
just between your belly button and your knees. Your entire body belongs to you. Your personal space belongs to you. And I mentioned before, the way to teach children to carve that safe space in their life comes with teaching them the art of boundaries, of understanding when they want to hug someone or kiss someone or have someone. Um, For example, I was in a monastery with my daughter for the first time and uh, she was wearing a robe because we all had to cover up. And there was a gentleman in the church who was not a, not a priest or, or a religious man, but he, he could see it was too big. And, and he leaned forward to try and adjust her, her robe. And it would mean fiddling with her body. And proudly, my daughter said, no, it's okay, thank you. And he didn't hear the first no. So how many of us have been in a position where we talk to a man or a woman or anyone and we say, no, thank you. It's okay. And they don't hear you because they want to change your mind. And it may come from a good place, but how often have we learned the ability to say, I said no, and no is a full sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then teaching children that it's okay. You're not any less a nice person or any less impolite. I know in England, we are very much teach about politeness and diplomacy, you can say no. So teaching children when they're comfortable and when they're not and giving them the language and identifying that their entire body belongs to them. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Mm -hmm. That's a huge, that's a biggie, right? And then guess what? You can teach that without even talking about sex. Mm -hmm. Um, The other is teaching children the language of body parts. Uh, We've all had it. We've all had a name. Right, I'm sure we've all had a name growing up. Um, and, and in the beginning, I caught myself, I was found guilty by giving it a name because I was so embarrassed. My daughter would scream across the room saying, I need to pee out my vulva or my vagina. So we called it something else. And then I stopped myself. And as she got older, I explained the name of her body parts in a story and a journey through her body. So a brain, if she closed her eyes, could picture up a unicorn. And that's beautiful. You can't see it. No one else can see it. Um, and, but it has a purpose. It can do maths. It can come up with language. It can read. Um, her hands can paint. And she's very sporty. So we talk about the, the muscles in her legs that support her when she has gymnastics. And then she has a vulva. Mm-hmm. And we did that story at the age of six, turning seven, um, with a mirror. Mm-hmm. And so it was a journey of her body. And she learned the body parts. And it stopped at the naming of the body parts because I do believe uh, we're talking about wonder, lust and curiosity. Children will guide you with their level of curiosity and with their curiosity, they will ask a question. And when you sit and take the time to answer, we don't have to give it all to them at the same time. Sometimes it's a two minute explanation and they're quite they're quite happy with it. And they're like, okay, off I go. And I'll come back when I have another question and another question, another question. And so sex education, much like for ourselves, our pleasure journeys, it's not a linear line and it doesn't have a beginning and an end. It's a constant journey. It's a constant conversation. So that means in a way that perhaps you could have a seven-year-old human child that you may not have these conversations with? I mean, is there a specific age or there could be a four-year-old child that you have to kind of have these conversations with? I mean, start them. Um, I was, because I was trying to think of the the proper age, but I think that it's just different child to child from what I'm, from what I'm hearing. 
It's a great question. So even with conversation aside, yes, to answer your question, you get children as young as four who have figured out how to masturbate. They don't know what it is. um, So they haven't been given the language and you can take the time to talk to them and explain that it feels good and you don't have to go into the science. And let's give an example of um, your child is much younger and maybe doesn't have the capacity to understand language and you walk into a room and they're masturbating or they're they're self-soothing in that instance. There's two approaches. One is to act completely normal and and let's say you're going to the shops and you say, right, we're going to the shops in half an hour and you walk out and you don't make it a big shameful issue. When you do that, the first um, reaction or the next time a child experiences, they will have a reference point of shame, you know, something's wrong or I shouldn't be doing that or I was naughty or I was caught doing something. And in some instances, it's your reaction is the best explanation because the child is too young to have that detailed conversation. And You can maybe encourage your child as they get older that if it feels good, there's a place and there's a time to do it and you can can have that safe space at home and we will understand and it's totally normal. And as they get older, you add more layers to that conversation, whether it's biological or emotional. Um, So yes, my daughter has friends that have figured out masturbation a lot earlier. My daughter hasn't, but she understands a concept of pleasure and what that might mean for her um, and how to own it. So it's a very, that's why I say the curiosity of the child, whether it's curiosity with their body, whether it's touching themselves or asking questions, they will tell you when they're ready. So it's probably wise as a parent to be prepared and kind of have your elevator pitch for your child. (laughs) So I I, I think at least not being caught off guard because you don't know if you have a two-year-old or an eight-year-old and maybe it hasn't come up when that conversation will happen. I'm sure being exposed to other children in school and and media uh, will have an effect on on children. Um, And so that brings me to ask you why you think, obviously it's important to have accurate shame-free terminology with with children, uh, but why why is it? Why is it that um, folks should have these preparatory tools and um, you use the unicorn, unicorn as an example, which I love. Uh, do you have any more that you could suggest for parents listening out there? Well, I think there's a few, there's a few sort of nuggets I, I like to share. Um, the one is, you know, if you're going to have this, if you're prepared to have this conversation with your child, um, first sense check with yourself, how do you feel? So let's take masturbation, for example, pleasure, self-pleasuring. What are your thoughts about it? How do you feel about it? What do you know about your own body about it? And you might want to start doing a journey for yourself, um, whether you are a dad or a mom or moms or dads, whichever it is. Um, And that will arm you with a lot of understanding. We could go wax lyrically into the positive aspects of living well, uh, having a well-balanced, emotional, well-balanced, connective, intimate, and erotic intelligence when you guide, when you allow people to build and understand how important sex and intimacy and erotica is in their life. We, and I was saying in the beginning, what we do is we, we teach our children so many man- manners. Imagine a world where boys and girls um, or whichever gender you identify with after a sexual encounter has a level of manners, has a level of communication to empower our children to understand that 
what they want for themselves, they now have the courage to ask for what they want in life anywhere else. And we talk about the orgasm gap. Well, actually, it's the you you feed the pleasure famine. And if you take, let's take women, for example, you know, I have a, a daughter and I want her to be able to look back at the first time that she experiences pleasure and she's reminded of meeting herself. So typically, mum, I don't want my daughter to be giving blowjobs in the bathroom floor on her knees. Let's call it what it is because there is uh, peer pressure, there is sexting going on because she validates, her currency of validation is coming from someone else. And I think when you teach children that pleasure belongs to them, it's their own right and it's their journey and navigation in a safe space, you empower them to validate and create self-efficacy for themselves. I just want to add something that I experienced. My partner has um, a daughter that's going to be 15. She was just about to be 12 when we met. And at the 11-year-old, you know, daughter that he has was um, having friends. And I don't know if she was as well, but having boys specifically ask for nudes. And a lot of these girls were sending nudes at 11 years old to these yeah. boys. And, and I was trying to explain to her, I was like, hey, once that is out there, you'll never get it back. So you have to really, I think, know that kids have the power of, of the, the media and, and cell phones. It's like a huge tool. We didn't have that as children. I, I, I definitely didn't until I was 18. So that is such a, a can opener for parents and an eye opener. And even if you don't think your kids are doing it, they probably yeah, are. probably are, or yeah. they are involved. And sex education is not in its, or the lack of, is not in isolation. We look at advertising, or we look at porn. Um, let me make this very clear: I am not against porn. I am against porn being the only bible of instructions. So you know, this this is whether you like it or not. We we have our kids looking at it, our next door neighbors, our partners, or whoever. And collectively, even sex education. If you look at the story or the narrative for boys. They are shown an illustration of a penis, a torso, and they are spoken about pleasure, wet dreams. There's almost this birthright to a level of power and empowerment. While girls are given an illustration of bleeding uteruses with a warning sign that says, don't get pregnant, beware. So, so that's how the conversation is starting. Now, imagine the level of, of validation or self, self-efficacy that's starting with that starting point, not to mention the advertising and the constant barrage of messages that tell us that we need to look elsewhere and that we owe it to society to have skinny thighs or perky boobs. Or, um, and then, of course, combined with porn, being the only Bible of instructions, you've got a lot of um, mismatched information. Porn is entertainment. And like I explained to some of my nephews, um, you know, you, it's like watching a fast car on Fast and Furious. You don't get in a car and expect to drive like that. It's, it's <laughs> um, yeah. There is a phenomenal book I would highly recommend for that age, 11 to 15, written by Laura Bates called Girl Up. Mm. And it is a phenomenal uh, a phenomenal book and instruction guide on how to deal with a lot of these topics. Sexting. I'm totally going to. Yeah. By Laura Bates. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I learned a few things, even as a single woman. Is this <laughs> is Girl Up specifically for young girls or is it for all genders? Um, I think the minute that young girls and boys are involved using technology, because a lot of it uh, deals with, you know, for example, um, 
photoshopping, airbrushing, social media. Uh, when a boy asks you for uh, my personal favorite, when he asks you for a picture of your of your tits, uh, send him a picture of two melons. You know, <laughs> or, um, <laughs> it's just it, it's just it's a really um, humorous, lighthearted, but also very. Um, oh, this is a practical guide to to protect and create those boundaries once again. I love that. And I think this is one, one thing a lot of parents will say, like, I think April said this earlier, you know, oh, not my kid, not my daughter, not my son. You know, they're not, they're not doing all the wild things. You know, they're, they just think that they have, they have this idea of innocence. And so what you're saying is that, well, maybe they're not, but they're around people that probably are. They're hearing about it. Uh, I remember being maybe 11 or 12 and hearing about, you know, girls giving blowjobs for the first time. I'm 34 now. Um, and so at that age, no, you know, being aware of what this thing was actually not fully understand. Like you do blow. I don't really get it, but, <laughs> but still hearing about this thing. So I was exposed to, it, even though I didn't actually participate in it until many, like four years later. Um, but what I, what I want to say is that kids, from what I see, they actually are, they are capable of comprehending or understanding or already hearing about things way before a lot of parents think they are, right? Yes, a four-year-old, I can't talk about, you know, um, like what it means to fall in love, like the, the emotional and energetic sides of sex and relationships, they're not going to comprehend it, but they can understand basic body functions and more about like, this is your body and things like that. And as, but when you talk to a 10 year old, they can pretty much get most of it. Like at that age, but, but people are waiting for the school system to, to deal with it later when the school system isn't dealing with it and they're just totally missing it. So, so just for parents listening, you know, if you have a 10 year old kid that, in my opinion, that is probably one of the um, most important ages, you know, 10, 11, before they're going off to whatever it is, middle school, because it's different everywhere, middle school and high school, giving them the information before they go and are completely exposed to all of this stuff and have to learn from trial and error from, and from peer pressure. Um, give it to them before that because they're able to understand it. Yeah. Then it doesn't mean they're more likely to go and do all the things too. Like it's just, that is such a fallacy. If you have a six-year-old with a cell phone, know that that's a tool for them to access all sorts of information that maybe it'll be a lot sooner than they typically would have received the information. Yeah. I mean, te- technology either works for us or works against us. And really it's, it's all what you allow in your home. Um, like you said, by 10, she's probably, he or she's probably seen numerous music videos or some kind of sexualized content. And, and it's only natural that the curiosity will lead to wanting to know more. Now, as parents, we can, yes, we rely on the schooling system, I think, a lot of the time to raise our other humans outside of just sex education, which I think is a, is a topic all out of its own that we need to take the time to explain. But like I said, if you don't know, if you don't have an opinion or a thought or a, a belief system or pattern or even a pleasure maintenance system in your life, you're going to battle on how to approach this with, with your children. Um, and so it's a self-discovery, I think, for yourself. Some have very, you know, strong beliefs that are formulated around um, social scripts, whether it's come from their parents or from religion or from society, um, where it might be very androcentric, so male dominant, or, you know, it, it could be very all female empowerment. Whatever it is, you have to understand that, you know, you can impart that knowledge onto your child, but your child will always naturally seek curiosity from outside. So, you know, you can tell your child, this is the way it's going to be done. 
but there's no guarantee that it's going to happen. Mm. So why not empower your children and, and arm them with as much credible information? And there is lots out there. We just don't know where to go and find it. And parents don't need to pretend like they know everything or that it is that I'm su- I'm super confident in this conversation. You know, I've 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 co-led. I was more like the assistant in this, but a uh, how to talk to your kids about sex for for middle schoolers. And the woman I was teaching, she has two sons, and she has a master's in human sexuality. So I don't have kids, so it was more like I learned a lot from her. And one thing she said was out the awkward, like don't go in the middle. I know everything. You know, it's yeah. comfortable for you can say to your kids this is a really uncomfortable conversation to have, but we need to have it. You know, are, are you ready to discuss it or can we at least open the door? Or can I just let you know that if you're not ready to talk about this now, that I'm here and you can talk to me about anything. And here's some books so that you can you know, educate yourself, but just to create that, um, that idea that uh, it's awkward or, or just at least out the awkward and embrace that, but also create the idea that you're an ally. I think you've hit on a really important point there um, and that she gave great advice in that if you have any questions, come and ask me. I may not know all the answers, but we'll figure them out, yeah. you know, and I, I say that often to my daughter. We'll, we'll figure them out. We'll go find the answers. And also sex education. I think, Amy, you talked about this before. It's not just for folks with daughters or uh, vulva-owning, you know, individuals. Because I thought that you taught a class, a teen sex class, and it was all moms and daughters that showed up and, and you were like very confused. It was open to the everyone. It was this, uh, it was sex, uh, how to talk to your kids about sex for parents and their middle schoolers and only mothers and daughters signed up. And, oh. and we were like, what? I mean, we weren't that surprised that that was what was going to happen. We did, but they, they did we in nowhere did we say that it was for daughters, for mothers, it was for everyone. But there was this idea that it was, the mother's job to educate and that the young boys didn't need it and that mm-hmm. the young daughters did because a lot of them had sons too. So anyways, there's just an interesting dynamic there going on where fathers were essentially off the hook from having those conversations yeah. or maybe they're uncomfortable with it and that sons didn't need that, that the, you know, the young princesses needed to be protected. Sure. Well, I think what we find is um, traditionally anyone who identifies as male sex is quite linear for them. So it's very obvious, right? So you've got some, you've got some arousal, you've got some heavy petting, and then you've got a happy ending at the end, which, <laughs> which is, it's pretty linear. And so, and so most, you know, and generally speaking, fathers or parents think, okay, well, that's not difficult. It's easy for my son to achieve what he needs to achieve. I don't really need to go. I just need to tell him about consent or maybe respect or maybe a no. But if you if you push the boundaries even further than that, what we are really trying to encourage, especially in the space of sex tech, um, is that pleasure can, which orgasm is a byproduct of pleasure, can be experienced dynamically and elevated no matter which gender you uh, or which body part you associate with so how you achieve pleasure when you were maybe 15 traditionally with a sock and some vaseline can be different as a man right as a man men also don't realize that they can achieve a different level of pleasure and a different level of orgasm because social construct has told them it's linear but it's not um, we've busted a little bit on the taboo side with those vulva owning where we say right it's not linear and an orgasm can be achieved in different ways and you're you're totally normal if you're not Mm -hmm. um but there's other articles there's other 
dialogues that need to be said. So, you know, around trans and 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 LGBTQ plus, and you know, um, and we should we should thank LGBTQ plus because they had to, you have to go beyond the normality of of the social construct and figure it out. And if it weren't, you know, for someone talking about it, we wouldn't be here today. I think that's a good kind of transition to ask you a question about teaching kids about gender orientation, inclusivity when talking about people that have gender gender nonconforming folks, because it is happening sooner and sooner, which I think is amazing, especially in the U.S. I don't know about the U.K., but I, I know in the U.S., uh, gender-free sort of bathrooms are becoming a thing in California. So do you have any suggestions about teaching kids about um, those types of, of situations? Well, in Europe or U.K., I mean, gender-free uh, bathrooms existed 20 years ago when I was at university in Sweden, um, as did sauna rooms, which was quite surprising. Um, I think what's important is, yes, it needs to be inclusive, uh, but along with that conversation also needs to be the art of tolerance, the art of, like we would teach any other um, you know, part of our lives, whether it was religion, whether it was coming from different cultures, different languages, it's, it's tolerating belief systems. And the belief pattern around your pleasure is none of anyone else's business it's yours it's you have a right to it irrespective of what you associate with and it is your responsibility so um again you know include making that inclusive and arming children to understand that it's their own that they need to take care of and we must be tolerant and learn the art of communicating and asking um over and above inclusivity is consent I think, you know, that's a big topic that we're, we're trying to, to touch on. I am all for sex education. I, I don't believe that it should just be the schools that teach uh, sex education. My biggest concern is not should it be in the UK specifically. It was supposed to be legal and obligatory in two, this year, 2019, and that's been pushed to 2020. My biggest concern is who's teaching the content and 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 how who have we got contributing to content um and also how do we authenticate the content there's a lot of information and technology out there that kids and and adults can go and and research on and we don't know how to identify the source of it mm-hmm. although your credibility yeah and and on that note talking you know teaching about the, when you're talking about the, the you know the teaching the young girls about sex and that the boys you know might not that their parents are not enrolling them in it because they're like, you know, penises and their pleasure is linear. But I think remembering to teach your kids about um, the diversity of sexuality that you don't, that isn't just what you think they'll be, right? Just because you think your young boy is going to be a straight young boy with a very healthy sex life. He still needs to learn about gender orientation, inclusivity, variations of sexual diversity so that he can be a nice human, you know, mm-hmm. a, a human that can um, help to contribute to the um, the growth of the world and to more acceptance. And and that, you know, that same individual also needs to learn, maybe they, they need to learn less around um, consent and boundaries for their body because statistically penis owning individuals have less sexual assault, but they do have sexual assault. And it's the education that you give them that will help them to not be one to to do sexual assault, right? So there's thinking outside of what you think my kid will be and actually teach them about everything so that they're fully equipped and then they can be more accepting of others mm-hmm. that are not them. Absolutely. Um, and then, so just let's go on because you're, you're a mother in sex tech 
<laughs> your kid, your child knows what you do, I assume. Um, and it sounds like other parents do too. How do you handle this? <laughs> yeah. So, well, my daughter knows the art of, of, of sex described around pleasure and what it means for her body. I've man, I've taken the route uh, personally not to uh, describe sex as penetrative penis versus vagina. And, and very much what you've been saying, talking about pleasure and inclusivity and that pleasure is a journey and everyone has the right and, and we need to tolerate and accept and, and be able to communicate properly. Um, I think, you know, the Velva situation, the Velva story with the mirror was, was literally what got me thrown off the WhatsApp group in the beginning because they were then talking about private parts. And my daughter said, well, it's not a private part. It's called a Velva. <laughs> and, um, and, and you should, you, you can look at it with a mirror. And of course, <laughs> a, another little girl said, what's a vulva? And then of course, my daughter's response was to throw me under the bus and go, it's complicated. You should ask my mom. <laughs> and then, um, so that, and so obviously I was accosted coming out the school gates and, and they said, well, you know, have you been talking to your, to your daughter about sex? And I said, well, I've been talking to my daughter about pleasure. Sex is one of those things. And interestingly enough, um, the person who did, did, was not my best friend at the time, um, had an older teenager, she, uh, older teenager, teenager, 13 as a teenager, um, and asked me the question about, should she be buying her a vibrator? Mm. Um, I get lots of questions about, for example, periods and, and some of us don't have a period. So how do we talk about periods, um, to our sons and daughters? But a big one is, do I buy my daughter is, is, is part of teaching her that she can give her own pleasure. Should I be giving her a vibrator? Because what if she can't achieve an orgasm on her own? then she's still going to go look for it. So that's the mindset at the, the current climate of the mindset. Um, to answer the question, I'm all for giving vibrators. Um, a vibrator is a tool. It's a facilitator. There are loads of different types of facilitators. And with the art of technology and being in sex tech, which quickly by definition means bringing together the best of humanity and technology together, um, you know, there's no longer the jelly rabbit dildo, whoever's in my generation who would have understood, you know, buying it in a brown paper bag down a dark alley. But, you know, brands have come together to create these aesthetically um, uh, androgynous, uh, beautiful shelfy types looking products that are wonderful to use and, dis and discover and explore. Uh, why, why not? You know. I got in huge trouble, Dominique, back in <laughs> Christmas of... <laughs> 2017. Uh, it was my first Christmas with my partner and he has three daughters, uh, all of which, except the, the one that we spoke of earlier, who are in their 20s. And I gave everyone, uh, including his sister, my partner's sister, and including his mom, uh, <laughs> vibrators. I did not give the 12-year-old a vibrator. However, the mom of the 12-year-old really upset when she asked what I gave everyone. Um, and and <laughs> And uh, my partner's daughter said, well, she gave them stuff from her work. And, <laughs> and I was, yeah, <laughs> I was, because I too, I, I definitely knew that that would probably not be okay with the 12 year old. Uh, and I did say eventually, and I did tell the, his daughter that if you're interested in something uh, or learning more about this, just let me know and come and talk to me. But I got into huge trouble. I, I feel the same way as you. I know a lot of folks might not feel that way 
but you might be kicked off the Christmas list. They, uh, yeah, they were also, they were not phallic. They were little bullet vibes. So it wasn't anything that was disgusting. I wasn't handing out penis, fleshy, veiny penises to all the, to all the, the, the people. Yeah. I think what's important, especially in our industry, is if we hand over a tool or a facilitator, it's got to come with aftercare. Um, so that can be anything from whether you're more mature and you want to learn how to do kink or BDSM to handing a, a product over that is going to um, facilitate it properly is going to encourage that teenager to connect with their body. And you can start a conversation about try and discover what you do like and what you don't like and how to explain that when you're ready to share that with a partner. So there has to be a level of aftercare. Um, I like the fact that you invited the conversation. That's a wonderful way as well. It, it provides that safe space rather than sort of just, you know, leaving it them up to their devices. It can also be scary. Um, and also for some, when you start the conversation with, with, with sort of middle school teenagers and they're talking about um, the art of touching their own body and connectivity and taking that time, uh, it doesn't always work and you can get frustrated as well if you don't. So this is a tool and, and why not use it? I completely agree. Speaking of vibrators, uh, tell us more about Mystery Vibe. I love Mystery Vibe, but I've actually been at a trade show in Europe and next to them and they have some really cool things. But uh, can you tell our listeners more and Amy more about Mystery Vibe and some of the other work that you do as well? Well, Mystery Vibe um, was is is a big leader and a disruptor in the innovations. They truly did bring the best of technology and humanity together. And to the point, they created the first vibrator, which is Crescendo. And it is very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Abstract looking. Aren't so there like it, 50 motors or there's some, something <laughs> Six motors, six motors. Um, it looks like a really elegant massager and that's exactly what it is. It massage and it vibrates, but it is completely super uber bendy. So it will fit to your body, remembering whether inside or outside, each person's curve and body shape and your erogenous zones, not only are they different, because we all have the same bits, right? They're just uniquely placed for each one of us. And then when you have kids, trust me, they move in directions we never thought. Um, and so Crescendo is that wonderful product where you can you can bend it irrespective of, of what gender that you associate with. You can use it on your own. You can use it with a partner. And the technology bit, motor and bendability aside, you have this wonderful app that has um, 16 different vibration patterns and different intensities. And so you can, you know, through touchscreen, decide where you want that, or you can create your own app as well. So you can play around with where you want the stimulation. And again, another facilitator to go, oh, that feels really nice there, or that feels nice there, or that's too weak, or I need it a little bit stronger. Um, and and if you're using it on your own and if you're using it with a partner, well, hand over the remote to mm -hmm. someone else and, and give control and figure out between the two of you what feels what feels great. Um, and then they created a, another phenomenal product, my personal favorite, which is Tenuto, which is predominantly for uh, penis owners. Mm -hmm. However, because again, the motors and the flexibility, it adapts to your body. So it's always a personalized pleasure, right? This is the promise of Mystery Vibe, but it can be shared because the vibration can then be transferred to to your lover or to your partner um, and and it's again works with an app um, we have something exciting coming out uh, in a couple of months so keep your eyes on mystery vibe where once again we've now brought the product mainstream and what 
Mystery Vibe does and what a lot of brands in sex tech are doing is taking it from the dark early brown paper bag and bringing it into to mainstream, bringing it into CVS or Walmart or in what we've got. I don't know if you have a dollar stop, a short dollar store in, in the US, but we have got Poundland and, and <laughs> hey, you can buy a bullet. <laughs> you, can, you can buy a bullet in Poundland. Who would have thought five years ago, 10 years ago, oh. never in a million years would have you bought a bullet a vibrator in Poundland. I want to open a sex shop called Poundland. Actually, I think that would do really well in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it would do very well. Yeah. Um, so, so um, mystery vibe is you know, and it's constantly keeping it. We also come with a lot of support on how to have a conversation. You know, the age-old saying is, if I use a vibrator, will my body be desensitized? Will my partner is he being replaced? Those are big conversations to have. And when you provide the support and com- and and education behind it. You, you, you get wonderful results because people have aha moments and predominantly, you know, this brand is for those that have been in a relationship and we've all hit, you know, gone, well, this is very normal and I kind of want to, I want the desire back, right? So intimacy and desire, we know of two very different things. And thanks to uh, Esther Perel, you know, we understand that the one can kill the other. Um, and then there's, there's, you know, the innovation in this industry, just to give you some interesting, you know, nerdy facts, it's, it's a $30 billion industry that is soon to be $126 billion. And I know that you, you probably know this, but the only way that we will have sex tech that where pleasure and eroticism and desire and empowerment becomes your social and economic motives for change in your life is if we, if we invest in those innovations and we invest in the right team and the right products. And I sit with, you know, my company, we have multiple of products and projects sitting from tablets for women with menopause to, um, you know, for cold, for hot flushes and night sweats to, um, vibrators that can change the heads i mean you know it's just phenomenal what's coming out there and uh the more we bring it into mainstream and the more it becomes your normal conversation uh in your journey of life no matter where you are you know the foster will fast track that industry and and i used to be in the intimate uh intimacy with with um intermina and it was the menstrual cup and it used to Eight years ago, I would be shouting on BBC radio, why do I still have to wear a tampon? Why am I being dictated to? Why, why can't I have a menstrual cup? Um, and, and today, thankfully, it's more mainstream. So it's, it is fast changing. Is it changing fast enough? And enough for our kids, my kids' generation? I don't think so. I, I don't know. I don't think so. I am excited to learn more about Mystery Vibe. And for our listeners, just so you know, if you want to learn more about Mystery Vibe, if you go to our website at shamelesssex.com and you go and you actually click on this episode, um, which is going to be called How to Talk to Your Kids About Sex. Um, and there will be a link on there to go and learn more about Mystery Vibe. You can click through on the link there to go and find out more. How do people find out more about you? Do you actually do work or like if people want to reach out to you or learn more about like they're like I have more questions about how to talk to kids about sex how do Um, they well you can follow me on Instagram which is um, Dominique Caretas Dominique spelt with two n's Um, keep an eye on the brands like Mystery Vibe that are constantly putting out information and on our site just a little bit trick with the crescendo uh, that's come to mind if you're buying the product and you're pregnant 
or you're wanting to fall pregnant, it is a brilliant product for um, massaging the perineum area. And I used to use the the little wings on Crescendo to massage my nipples to prevent mastitis because that shit hurts. Um, And instead of cabbage leaves, I used to use the vibration and the massage, which helped a lot when I was breastfeeding. Um, uh, So yes, follow Mystery Vibe or follow Mystery Vibe on our site, which is uh, obviously mysterybibe.com. And you can follow me on Instagram or look me up on LinkedIn um, or Healthy Pleasure Collective. But keep your eyes out because we're always sending out really great information cool we'll go we'll go to the mystery vibe booth in germany when we're there in october oh yeah will you be there will you be there uh i think i'm going to leave that answer to the head of commercial (laughs) i know we're in germany next month (laughs) if you're there we should meet for a coffee and this was lovely i hope that uh that our listeners took as much from it as i did and i think this is such amazing information you're a wealth of knowledge dominique and we truly value your time and uh would love to to talk with you again sometime in the well, future thank you thank you ladies for everything you're doing we we, we love watching you the side of the pond <laughs> thanks for having me a large pond all right well a very large pond thank you for tuning in uh this is an awesome bonus episode but we see you next tuesday for another episode of shameless sex we love you all ciao for now don't forget to head on over to our website at shamelesssex.com for more and for 15 percent off of some of our favorite sex toys use coupon code shamelesspp in all caps at purepleasureshop.com